Tonight we'll have our final marriage refresher course and, and um, those that need to make up, make sure you just uh, you fill that out, let the office know we can arrange that and we'll be recognizing those who have graduated with, from the marriage refresher course here soon and I'm glad for the journey in that. Sometimes people say, well, it's not working. Well, it does. Truth always does. But you got to do something with the truth. And, and that's the same as the guy who, who told Billy Sunday, revival's not working. Well, revival does. And um, just because you sit through the meetings and it's not doing it for you, it simply means that you're not either grasping it or you're not uh, putting it into your life. And so that's what I always say. Set an appointment. We get in. We'll talk about it. First Timothy chapter number 6. Now, uh, this morning... Um, there was a, a little bit of a stir about some of the definitions regarding the fruit of the Spirit. And um, I just want you to know, Brother Cherry's been very stressed, um, getting ready for Christmas. And, and um, sometimes it doesn't always reflect on the screen what is in my notes. But temperance in the Bible it does involve elf control. And um, it's, you got to dig deep into the Greek, and I wasn't going to go that deep. Brother Cherry decided to put it in there. And so for that reason, we have, um, he found some coloring pages we'll be passing out. It's entitled, Color Your Elf Using the Colors You Choose, Elf Control Color Key. And um, so we will be providing those. And this will help you in your temperance. <laughs> it'll, it'll do quite a bit uh, to teach some temperance there. And some of you failed the test of temperance uh, after the message and could not wait to let me know that um, the, the error there. But I'm telling you, it was not an error. It was designed um, by, by the quality control of the media department here at Canaan Baptist Church. And so... Well, Cherry did a great job. He's done a great job with these decorations, and I was just thrilled coming back and just being able to see, but I know they put an awful lot of work into it, but a lot of my preacher friends did get a kick out of temperance being defined as elf control. No other time of the year is it that special as it is the month of December, so no, everyone passed, I think, as far as I'm concerned on the temperance matter, except my own family pointed it out to me right away. And so, <laughs> um, and so it, I'm glad, glad for that. And, and um, we'll see how your, your elf spirit does. First Timothy chapter number six. Let's go ahead and stand one more time here. Verse number 17, Paul says, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Thank you. Please be seated. We've been talking on Sunday nights about strongholds and addictions and one man said that an addiction is an appetite that begs to be fed. It won't stop pleading until I satisfy it. And then it's only silent for a while. 
Another said of addiction, it's something that's on my mind almost all the time. If I'm awake, I'm either feeling guilty about what I've done, thinking about doing what I shouldn't, or what I'm planning to do. I would say that that's bondage, wouldn't you? That's a stronghold. And there is a bondage and an addiction, and there's a stronghold that is dividing homes, and we've been looking at several, and there's another one that is destroying homes, and that's why I'm putting this in. Dr. James Dobson says of this stronghold that it preys on the desperation of the poor, and it promises, and its promises are based on lies. I'm talking tonight about gambling. We're being told that gambling is a ticket out of poverty. But the truth is, it's a ticket into poverty and bondage. And today there are well over 11 million Americans that are addicted to gambling. It seems harmless buying a lottery ticket, playing a harmless game of poker, taking your own chance down at the track. And if it were left to many American, they would just have one gigantic crap table and just live their life in that kind of arena because of many a justification that's been made. John Scarn, he's described as the world's foremost authority on gambling, he surveyed nearly 100,000 gamblers and from this survey he estimates that the total volume of bets made in this country, both legally and illegally, represent about one-third of the gross national product. Yet George Washington, the father of our country, said, quote, Gambling is the child of avarice, the brother of iniquity, the father of mischief. End of quote. Marvin and Emily David Hauser stacked a, a, a 40 Florida lotto tickets atop a Bible on August 6th and turned on the TV and they pray. On Tuesday, the Brandon, Florida couple claimed $26 million, the USA's 13th largest prize, and this one's a little bit older, not this past week or month. And Marvin David Heiser said, I'd advise everybody to say your prayers. You don't win it just on picking the numbers. They sort through the whole stack but the winner, he said, was the last ticket I read that was closest to the Bible. And can you imagine a supposedly religious man having the audacity to try to pin the tail of his winning on uh, the lottery on God? Now, certainly you would think a religious man knows better than to try to tie God into gambling, much less approve of gambling himself. But then I came across these facts. Pollsters tell us that 8 out of 10 Roman Catholics classify themselves as gamblers. Uh, gambling participation among Jews is 77%. Presbyterians and Episcopalians tie at 74%, while 63% of Methodists admit to gambling tendencies. And I thought it would be really a lot better with the Baptists, and it is slightly, only 43% of Baptists surveyed say they gamble, while 33% of members of non-denominational groups, including the traditionally conservative Bible churches, admit they do a little betting now and then. Now that figure sounds low when compared to the uh, 
uh, to, to the, the, the whole scope, but it means that one out of every three conservative Christians may not have the scruples necessary against gambling. 80% of American adults gamble on a yearly basis. Three to five gamblers out of every hundred struggle with a gambling problem. Whether it's betting at the racetrack, bingo at the church, pulling a lever, rolling the dice, shuffling cards, or buying a lottery ticket, gambling has now become the national pastime. And if you are into sports, you watch sports, you've seen how the, the whole aspect has changed on sports news and coverage because it involves now the betting spread. Newsweek magazine commented the explosive growth of legal gambling may be one of the most significant social developments of the 1980s. And in the 90s, it there was an even larger development so that today in the 2022, it's an explosive epidemic. Today, two-thirds of all Americans gamble. In a recent Gallup poll has discovered that 80% of Americans approve of gambling. 82% say that they would approve of some form of legalized gambling if it would help their state raise revenue. And that's what many a state runs off of in pushing the agenda is how it will help education. Well, I've got this to say when we get on education, but our states have done very little to help education. The gross gaming revenue of the gambling industry in the U.S. reached almost $53 billion in 2021. The biggest single business in the United States outside of pornography, is gambling. Gambling takes in more profit than all of the 100 biggest corporations in our country combined. Now, gamble, as a verb, it means to play games of chance for money, bet, or wager. It is to take a risky action in the hope of a desired result. Now, taking a risk and gambling are different, and many proponents of gambling will say it's really no different than how we live every day when we take risks. Some say it this way, all of us gamble to some degree. There are those who say life is a gamble and business is a gamble. But I want to say to that, which I've lit, heard and maybe I've used and, and thought that's not a big deal, but I want to say that is a big deal because that's wrong. Life is a risk, it's not a gamble. Taking a risk is not wrong in and of itself, gambling is. In fact, in Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, you read where Jesus condemned the unjust servant for his unwillingness to take a risk. He buried his master's money in the ground instead of investing it in hopes of a return. There's nothing wrong with taking certain risk. In fact, in Acts 15 and verse 26, we're told of the men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The question is not whether it's okay to take a risk. The question is what kind of risk is okay to take. Part of the problem is misunderstanding the difference between taking a gamble and taking a risk. There's a big difference between taking a risk and taking a gamble. You see, gambling leaves everything to chance. 
while risk-taking does everything to minimize chance. And that's the reason as we're moving through our spiritual warfare journey, getting into strongholds that I feel compelled we have to deal with gambling when it comes to this matter of strongholds. And as we followed the pattern, followed the, followed the suit of dealing with those strongholds, we're really looking at it from three, three um, dimensions. One, we're looking at the stronghold itself. Number two, God's viewpoint concerning the stronghold. And number three, the solution. And um, don't have the, the notes for the screen tonight. You just may have some verses up there. But let me give you the stronghold. Again, we've talked about strongholds. A stronghold is a pattern of unrighteousness that holds you hostage outside of the will of God. It's a pattern of unrighteousness, a stronghold that is, and it holds you hostage outside of the will of God. And we've already talked about this matter of gambling, it is a stronghold. It is a pattern of unrighteousness. If you're not careful, it can hold you hostage outside of God's mindset. Now, gambling becomes a stronghold when illegitimate risk replaces God's revealed approach in whatever area of life we're facing. Gambling becomes a stronghold when illegitimate risk replace God's revealed approach in whatever area of life we're facing. One of the ways a gambling stronghold is manifested is when the motivation is greed. Greed. Jesus said in Luke 12, 15, take heed and beware of covetousness. Greed. Why? Because he goes on to say that a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Scripture tells us that this get rich quick kind of scheme mindset, it falls into this category and it always leads to ruin. You've heard it said, it's too good to be true. If it seems too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. This get rich quick kind of a scheme. Proverbs 21 verse 5, the thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness, but of everyone that is hasty only to want. Proverbs 28 20, a faithful man shall abound with blessings, but he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. Proverbs 28 22, he that hasteth to be rich hath an evil eye and considereth not that poverty shall come upon him. And these are just a few biblical warnings that making haste to be rich is an illegitimate attempt to get what God has planned for us. There's no other way to describe the lottery or the casinos that are available to us today other than as opportunities to get rich or richer quicker. Isn't it sorry how our country has designed to repay to help out the Native American Indians, give them land and give them a casino, and then put a bottle in their hand on top of that. Yeah. What happens is we place them, we place people in the category who are gambling, get rich quick, in the category of illegitimate risk. By illegitimate, I simply mean they're not sanctioned by God. They're not sanctioned. It's not provided by God. Having money 
It's not wrong. Seeking wealth becomes wrong when the motivation is greed and the approach to acquiring it is illegitimate. Having prosperity is not wrong. I pray that God blesses you with wealth. I pray that God's blessing would be upon you if it be His will to prosper in the area of money. Prosperity is not wrong. Having money is not wrong. Seeking wealth with an illegitimate means, with a motivation of greed, is wrong. God Himself declares He wants us to prosper, not just simply financially, but God wants us to prosper. Jeremiah 29, verse 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. God doesn't want us to be miserable, but it's not money that's going to take away the misery. It only becomes wrong when God is no longer sought after. It becomes wrong when God is not pursued. When when God becomes the, the means to the end of becoming prosperous, does it become wrong? When I'm away on a trip, I try to get the kids gifts. And if Christy and I are away, we'll do the same thing. And, and I love giving them a gift, and it can be something very small, something extremely insignificant, but it's special as they get a gift to them like it is to many of us. But one thing that I've feared, but it hasn't happened, is that the kids get to a point when they ask, well, when are you going out of town again? <laughs> if it ever gets to the point when the focus shifts from my return to what I bring them, that I get lost in the process, then that's a bad thing. God doesn't want us to lose Him in the process of seeking His provision. And one way we can easily lose Him is by using Him or what He's given to us in a way that He's not sanctioned through illegitimate risk-taking. Now, gambling is a stronghold, not only when it's based on greed, but also when it's tied to, let me, instead of saying, I was going to say when it's not tied, when it's tied to a lack of productivity, let me put it the other way. Gambling is a stronghold, not only when it's based on greed, but also when it's not tied to productivity. Proverbs 10 and verse 4, he becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. A work ethic. I don't even know if that's part of the dictionary anymore today. I think they've banned that from the public school system. Uh, Working a job. Staying at it. Getting out of bed. Hard for kids to get out of bed because they stay up all night not studying, not working, but watching YouTube. Playing games. Listen, parents... You ought never let your kids use the word bored. There should be no such thing as being bored if you know God. Um, Sometimes our kids will say it and they'll catch their breath and they'll suffocate on that breath if they don't change it real quick because there's no room for, I'm bored. Well, grab a Bible. Well, that sounds boring. Well, grab the paddle. Whichever one one comes to, to burden you the most. Man, you've got a whole outside out there. Get out there and do something. Rake the, the leaves. 
play in the dirt, eat the dirt, do something. But there's a danger in becoming lazy and a, a, a slacker, a slugger, and, and, and God frowns on it and God really puts down and we develop a mindset of a society that's always looking for give me something isn't there a whole society that that votes now based upon whether or not somebody's going to pay for their education I'm wondering when they're even going to get an education and they want somebody to pay for it second Thessalonians 3 and verse 10 for even when we were with you, this we commanded you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Throughout the Bible, God links personal responsibility and productivity with his provision. Even when the rich are instructed to leave portions of their fields available to the poor for gleaning, the poor were required to make the effort of doing the physical act of gleaning. There are people legitimately that are poor and they're in a bad spot. And, and, and for that reason, we've put it into the Constitution and our bylaws to help in this because we could get several a day coming in here saying, I just need a little bit, of, I just need some money in my, in my hand, I just need some gas in my tank, I just need, some, I just need a little bit of help, just a little bit of help. And, and people feel burdened, you want to help, you feel pressured. Uh, we've, I, I mean, I can't tell them no, I want to help them out. I remember one time, I think it was Captain Labee that said, well, you know, I, we're, not, we're not just going to give, we were trying to get a handle on this because it was just daily. And, and I can't just hand you money, but we'll take you down and get you, get you gas. I think Brother Labee got in his vehicle and he followed like a brand new BMW down to the gas pump and, and he was putting money in. And, and taking care of this guy's gas. And then I think he asked you for some money to go buy him something to eat. And he's driving this, this $100,000 car. And what, he didn't want any gas. If he really wanted to take care of gas, he'd give us the keys, let us sell it for him. And we'd give him enough to cover. I mean, he could borrow Nick's vehicle. We could pay gas for a year on that. I know there are people in serious situations where, they, where they're just looking for a way to breathe. And there's so many of those times somebody come in and just say, Let's, there's a difference between helping and enabling. And we know we give somebody money many times. They're not wanting it to, to, to go get food. They're wanting to go get more alcohol or cigarettes. And many of you know that. And so we've said, no, we'll, we'll give you what, we'll get you some food. But then we, I began to think, well, why don't we really help them? How did they get into this situation in the first place? And so I began to come across some of these Bible principles. God's going to take care of you, but you've got to change your mindset. Yeah. Let me look at your budget. I will say, what is that? Well, how are you handling money? I don't have any money, that's why I'm here. But you want me to give it to you, and you're going to have it, then what are you going to do with it? You're just going to go, you'll go somewhere else and ask for more. Well, let me figure out a better way to help you to get you out of this. Instead of giving you fish, let us give you some fish and teach you how to fish. So let me, let me do this. Let's sit down. We'll go over your budget. And then we've got some things to do. You can cut some grass around here and you can help out. And just be a way for you to, to, to figure out how to do it the civilized way, the scriptural way, and work for it. 
And I think out of the eight years and the hundreds of people who have tried, I think maybe Brother LeBee, only one has taken us up on it to ever do that. Most of them say, no, I'll just go down to the next church and ask. Throughout the Bible, God links personal responsibility and productivity with His provision. That's why our state of Georgia is battling this and trying to, 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 to curb this from really coming into our state. Because when a government must sponsor a lottery in order to have a tax base to produce a service for its citizenry, it is saying that we have so little faith in our community's ability to be productive that we have to give them a game to play in order that we might have enough money to keep our programs running. But that's happening all over the place. And just like everything else, we're seeing the decline and states give in, you know, take over. And what we're so accustomed to, because we're used, our minds work this way. We can start the game over. We go from one short YouTube video to another. We're in this just short dose. It's just in the, we're, we're, we're only concerned about what I want, what I want right now. And we're not seeing, and we can, we can scream at it all we want to, oh, what are our grandkids going to go through? But I'm telling you, it's going to be worse than what we could imagine as long as we continue to let the decline take place. And you say, well, how can we fix this? Well, this is not part of the message, but that's why voting is so important. Stop voting based upon the, the candidate that, that looks most like your uncle. You know, stop voting for the one that sounds good. Stop voting for the one that fits your color. Start voting the one that's closest to God. Amen. I'm not even talking about how they might live, but as far as the principles. Many a founder of our great country was, was not personally saved, but they had a, an understanding and a respect for the principles of the Bible. Another thing about gambling is it fosters poor stewardship. For example, financial planners are professional stewards of other people's money. That's one of the reasons we have here um, those who have gone through the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University, not just for themselves, but also to be able to turn around and help us and help others when it comes to this matter of stewarding money, stewarding these things. And so if you need help, we've got people who can help. But if you were to give your financial advisor $10,000 for them to manage in your portfolio, and they told you they're going to give it to their spouse because their spouse was wanting the kitchen to be remodeled or the spouse was wanting a new, um, new vehicle. And your money that you're getting them to invest for you or, or advise you with, they're taking that $10,000 and they're going to use it for their spouse. You would demand your money back. Or if your bank told you they're going to take the money that you had in the account, your money, and buy lottery tickets with your money, 
because they were feeling lucky that day, you'd probably pull your money out of that bank immediately. But when we fail to understand that our God is the owner of everything that we, we have and everything that we possess, Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Therefore, when we fail to understand, understand that we are stewards, we're only stewards of what God has provided us, financial planners of anything Everything that God's given to us, God allows us to have that. Our money is not our money. It's God's money entrusted to our care. God says, I'm going to see what you can do with this. If you can't handle this amount, why would I give you more? God says we should never use the money he's given us without him in mind because ultimately it is his anyhow. And perhaps... You're hearing this so far and you say, Pastor, I don't gamble for those reasons. I just gamble because it's fun. Well, I want to remind you again, based upon 1 Timothy 6, 17. God's not opposed to you having fun. And he's not a cosmic killjoy. He's just against unrighteous fun. He doesn't want you to have the wrong kind of fun with his money. Just as you wouldn't want your financial planner or your bank using your money with their spouse on the weekend to enjoy their activities with your money. The stronghold. I want you to see it from God's viewpoint. I'm sure you know that there's no specific law or rule in the Bible that just says explicitly, thou shalt not gamble. But remember, the Bible is not a book of laws. People think it is. It's not a book of laws and rules. Because you can always find loopholes and laws. But the Bible is a book of mindsets. The Bible is one big mindset from God to man. And gambling violates several biblical principles and mindsets, one of which primarily is that of thou shalt not commit idolatry. Because gambling compares illegitimate risk-taking through gambling, excuse me, God compares illegitimate risk-taking through gambling to idolatry. And we see this in several verses, one of which is Isaiah 65 and verse 11. God says, but ye are they that forsake the Lord, that forget my holy mountain, that prepare a table for that troop, and that furnish the drink offering unto that number. He's, he's reminding Israel that's rebellious that they are taking illegitimate risk steps. Nothing wrong with risk. It's just when it's illegitimate. And doing so, he's addressing the point that they are replacing God with their risk-taking. So to gamble illegitimately is to trust luck rather than the sovereignty of God. It's telling God that you have more faith in the numbers on the ticket than in his ability to provide you with everything you need. God says you're proving that you have forsaken him when you spend your own will of fortune in order to create your own destiny. See, forsaking God means turning from him as your source and placing your hopes in something else as your source. 
It's a form of idolatry. See, anything that eclipses God's rightful place in your life, it's idolatry. It, it, gambling, it violates the command not to commit idolatry. It also violates the principle of honesty because it's stealing. Someone has said, he who gambles and wins is a thief. He who gambles and loses is a fool. Dave Ramsey calls it the foolish, the foolish man's tax. Playing the lottery. Oh, you're, you're, you're providing tax to the state. They're becoming millions of dollars richer off of who? Fools. It also violates the principle of love. It also violates the principle of work. We mentioned a little bit about that. But let's look at the solution. We see the stronghold. We see God's viewpoint on it, but now notice his solution. The stronghold of gambling exists because God has been replaced as the ultimate source. Have you ever been to the gas station? Has anyone ever stood in line to pay for gas or to, to buy something? You have to wait for somebody in front of you to buy their lottery ticket. Does that happen to anybody? It. And usually the ones buying it are the ones who look like... They can't afford to buy it. So the way to overcome a gambling stronghold is actually to return back to God. Could you imagine people waiting in line to get into church? 1 Timothy 6, 17, again, God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Why don't we just get back to God? Likewise, James 1.17, every good gift and perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. You don't have to spend any money. You don't have to sit and hope and wonder and pray and, 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 and think about what if it might be. Odds are against me, but maybe I'll win it. But when you came down here and kneeled at the front and you prayed to God, God Almighty heard you. God Almighty is the one who promised to meet and supply your need. Not only that, but God's provisions comes without a price tag. Proverbs 10, 22. The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich and he addeth no sorrow with it. Now, that is a key principle to understand when you have received a blessing from God. It's really important. When you get that new car, new house, new job, whatever it is, it's new to you. You need to see that as a blessing from God. There's a great inner satisfaction and peace that comes with acknowledging God alone as your source. Many of us are paying for things we can't afford. And as a result, these things are not a blessing to us because a blessing is always infused with the contentment with which to enjoy it. Overcoming a gambling stronghold comes purely through adopting a mindset of trusting God to take care of your needs and honoring Him with what He's given you as your first priority. It also includes trusting God both to empower and to empower you and to be productive as well as to cover areas where you are lacking in your capacity to work because God is able to meet your need. You don't need some uh, to spend your money on a get-rich scheme once you realize that you know the one who owns it all. You don't need to resort to a get-rich quick scheme 
once you return, repent, get back to the one who has all spiritual blessings in his possession. Instead, your time and effort and attention ought to go toward responding to whatever God would have you do in faith in your walk with him. Let me give you a tip about a very important conjunction. Because this is where people's lives seem to fall from one ditch to another. It's the conjunction B-U-T. But. And how you use that conjunction can make all the difference in the world in freeing you from the stronghold of gambling. It can go in one of two ways. Here's the first way. God is good, but I'm in a problem. God owns the cattle on the thousand hills, but I am buried under a mound of debt. God is able, but I'm in a mess right now. The second way changes everything. I'm in a problem, but God is good. I'm buried under a mound of debt, but God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. I'm in a mess, but God is good. God is able. See, the way you use the conjunction but determines whether you will fret or rest. Remember Joseph, Genesis 50 and verse 20, he said, you meant it against me, you meant it for evil, but God, he meant it for good. See, God hears your excuses. When someone is an excellent shot from the three-point line, sometimes they'll earn the nickname money. They're really self-confident. Before they take the shot, they'll call it and maybe say something like money before they even send it off. However, the best three-pointers, even in the NBA they only make that shot 40% of the time. That's the best. That means 60% of the time they're not going to get any points at all and will most likely turn the ball over to the other team on the rebound, and yet they're still called money because, because of the high percentage. But I want to remind us, friends, that we're talking about the difference in, in gambling and risk-taking, the difference between God and self. Our God, he never misses a shot. Every time he goes up for a shot, he scores every time. It's nothing but net. Friend, God never misses. God never messes up. You'll never trust God and lose. Every time God shoots, he scores. See, the key to overcoming gambling strongholds is... Get close to God. Learn from Him. Abide with Him. Access His grace through faith and let Him not only call the shots in your life, but let Him make the shots in your life. Aligning your financial dreams and desires underneath the overarching rule of God is a gamble worth taking if you want to use it that way. 
but it's really not a gamble. It's a risk, and it's a risk worth taking simply because God has already guaranteed Philippians 4.19. He will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Last time I checked, God's jackpot has more than enough for anyone who will follow Jesus' command. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew 6, 33. Let's stand together, please.